Now this made no sense. This is the Messiah. He has arrived. The Messiah is going to make everything good and right and free us. Why would he be going away? They had to eat that bitter fruit. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder, Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, as well as the author of Why Life Hurts and co-author of Evangelism Made Simple. Hi, I hope your Monday's going great. This is Jim Scudder, and we find ourselves at the end of January, which is amazing how fast this month has gone. It seems like just yesterday it was the new year, but here we are again. Uh, just every day that we get, I look at as a day to do something for Jesus, to honor him, to glorify him. And what's really neat about the Christian life is it is him that enables us and empowers us and guides us. So not just our salvation is all about Jesus, but everything is. And so uh, that's why we're studying him and his life. The series that we're in is called The Story of Jesus. We've taken all four gospels and tried to look at the entire life of Christ chronologically. And today we find ourselves in John. This is uh, the, the gospel that only contains these words in John 14. And it's some of my favorite verses. It's certainly a passage that really helps calm our heart and help us to, to really focus on three very important things. So we're going to get into that and more today as we are in the series, The Story of Jesus and my message title, His Words of Comfort for Trying Times. We are going to be going to the message in just a moment. Before we do, I need to remind you that we have some great opportunities for you to come with us on an in-grace adventure. We have two trips that are going to Israel. One is coming up at the end of February of this year, and we have another one going to Israel at the end of February next year. And uh, so you're invited to travel with us to Israel and see the incredible uh, sights of the Holy Land and also get to spend time with my wife and I and our, our team. And we would love to host you and tour you and uh, guide you on this spiritual experience. And then we're also going to do an in-grace adventure to Alaska, and you're invited to join us on that. It's a creation cruise, and we're going to start up near Anchorage and work our way down all the way to Vancouver, Canada on Holland, America. And you're welcome to come along on any of these trips. So to find out more, go to ingraceradio.com, click on travel, ingraceradio.com, and click on travel. I love the series that we're in, which is the life of Jesus, his story. And you say, history? And it actually is history. It's real. It's true. And if we are to be like Jesus, wouldn't it be appropriate that we study what he said, what he did, how he acted, how he thought? And it's all written down for us. It's all recorded in the Gospels. And Although we are in the final few days of Jesus' life, we still have a long time in this study because his death wasn't the end. It was really just the beginning. I've titled this message, His Words of Comfort for Trying Times. And I would uh, suggest that we live in trying times. Do you agree with that? I've told this story before. 
If you've heard it, just act like you haven't, okay? One of the trips that I've made to Israel a number of years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be nice to stay with an Israeli family? Not in a tourist hotel, not in a rented apartment, as we often do when we do filming trips, but with a family and experience life in Israel. What is it like to live in Israel? And so our church where I pastored had a missionary that lived there. They were from America, Jewish family, believers in Jesus. And they lived in Israel. They were Israelis. And I sent them an email and they said, yeah, come on over. So I did. And uh, it was fun to just see how that, what's the life like? And it's really not much different than here, except you're in Israel, right? So that was the best part, except for this. I decided to go on a walk and to see the city. The city was on the, or near the coast of the Mediterranean, not on the water, but near it. And it was in a metropolitan area near Tel Aviv. It's called Rehovot. And I was walking on the sidewalks in Rehovot, Israel, and I happened to notice something that I really didn't expect to see. I saw orange trees. You say, well, what's the big deal about orange trees? Well, these orange trees, brace yourself, were full of oranges. You say, so? Let me just ask you a question. If it were warm enough in Chicago to grow orange trees, would they have one single orange on them? No, because you would be picking them all, right? So I was perplexed by this, not just one or two, but the whole street was full on each side with these beautiful, mature orange trees full of beautiful, large, deep orange oranges. I thought, wow, this is, this is heaven. This is the, the land of milk, honey, and oranges. But I thought, if this were Chicago, they would be stripped of every orange. So therefore, it must be against the law to pick the oranges on the streets of Rehovo. I really did. I was just having this mental gymnastic event, and I was losing why would they have full oranges on these orange trees? Well, I saw one had fallen to the ground. And I thought, there's no law that would keep me from picking up an orange that fell to the ground. I'm just going to pick it up. And you know how you really want to taste something? You start to salivate. Man, and I was so ready to just have this incredible burst of sweetness and flavor. As I picked up this orange, I'm looking around, kind of hiding it, uh, peeling it, knowing I'm about to get arrested, but this is worth it. And... I got the thing and it was just incredible. And I took that thing and I put it in my mouth and I'm gonna tell you this, I was in for the surprise of my life. It was the most horrible thing I'd ever tasted. It wasn't sour, you've had sour oranges, they just weren't quite ripe and ready, but this wasn't sour, this was, I would call, bitter. What in the world, why would this thing taste so terrible? So I get home from the walk and I go and tell the family that I'm staying with, he's a pastor of a uh, assembly there in Israel, and they started laughing their heads off. I said, what in the world? Why are you laughing? And he said, well, when we arrived at Rehovo, we were amazed at the orange trees. We picked a whole box and gave them to our neighbors. <laughs> and then they found out that these were genetically modified orange trees. These were orange trees some deranged scientist 
decided to make taste bitter, taste terrible. Why? Because no one would pick the oranges. And so they would be aesthetically pleasing on the streets of Rehovah. Why would someone do that? But now I know, don't pick the oranges in Rehovah. Now, oranges in Israel are amazing, but just not those oranges in Rehovah. I got to thinking, though, walking this land 2,000 years earlier than me were a group of people from various walks of life, but many of them were fishermen, and they had to eat bitter fruit. We are in the place and the story of Jesus where we're in his final few days of life. We're actually in his last night before he was arrested. And he's in an upper room. And in the upper room, and previously to that, he had been telling his disciples all of this bad news. How many of you like bad news? You ever have someone say, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? At that point, we just want to know what's the bad news, right? That's all we really care about. The bad news was four times Jesus had told his disciples that he was going away. Now, this made no sense. This is the Messiah. He has arrived. The Messiah is going to make everything good and right and better and free us. He can't do that if he's not here. Why would he be going away? They had to eat that bitter fruit. He had also told them that he was going to die. Now, this made absolutely no sense. He had come, he had arrived. People that are dead aren't very good leaders militarily or otherwise. So they were perplexed. They had to eat that bitter fruit as well. He had just told them that one of them was a traitor. What? They'd been with him all of these years and one of this tight-knit group of disciples was actually going to be a traitor? That was bitter fruit. He had just told Peter that Peter was going to deny knowing him not once, not twice, but three times. They were bewildered. They were perplexed. They were discouraged. They were eating bitter fruit. He had told them on top of all of that that they would all flee from him. And sure enough, all of these things came to pass just as he predicted. You think if someone says this is going to happen, you would say absolutely not and make sure it doesn't happen. But it happened. All of these things happened. They had to eat bitter fruit. You're listening to In Grace with Jim Scudder Jr. Are you looking for an adventure that will take your breath away? Then check out In Grace's new series, Amazing Arches, that explores the natural beauty of God's creation. From the iconic, delicate arch in Utah to the lesser-known arches in Arizona, Colorado, and Kentucky, this series showcases the stunning diversity of these natural wonders. But it's not just about the scenery. Amazing Arches also features Ph.D. astronomer Dr. Danny Faulkner and Ph.D. geologist Andrew Snelling, who provide fascinating insights into the geology and history of these iconic landmarks. Get your copy of Amazing Arches for a gift of any amount. And when your gift is $25 or more, we'll include the popular video series, Our Awesome Universe, Big Bang or Big God. Call now at 800-78-GRACE or visit our website at ingraceradio.com or write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9. 
Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Now, I covered this last time, but let me cover it again. There are three things, if you can remember three things, every time you're discouraged, every time your heart aches, if you can just remember these three things, I think you will get over it quickly. Number one, there is a heaven. And if you are saved, if you have trusted Christ as Savior, you're on your way there. That's your home. That's your home. And then he says, I go to repair a place for you. And a lot of people think that he's up there building our mansions. That's not really what it says. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. So what is he talking about? I go to prepare a place for you. I think the place he was going to was the cross so that we could go to heaven. So number one, remember heaven. Number two, remember the cross. Remember the sacrifice he made for your sins. And then number three, it says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That is the rapture, folks. That is the rapture. That's when Jesus comes back, not to the earth, it's not the second coming of Jesus, but he comes in the clouds and gathers the saved, and the saved will avoid this seven-year tribulation period. When is the rapture? Not right now. Not a few minutes ago. We know it hasn't happened yet, but I know it's going to happen, and everything is lining up. I think it's going to be any moment. I truly do. I'm not being sensational. I truly do. I'm editing a series and it's called Armageddon's Dawn. I preached the sermon series here on Sundays some years ago. And as I'm sitting there editing it with the guys this week, I'm like getting chills. I'm like, we are so close to the return of Jesus Christ. I go to prepare a place for you, the cross. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, there ye may be also. These are wonderful truths that will really help us get over our heart trouble. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and will be soon. We changed the lyrics. We thank uh, John Peterson for writing that song, the late John Peterson, but uh, he says, and and maybe soon, and we say, no, 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 no. We've changed the maybe soon to will be soon. Coming again, coming again. And then Thomas, in verse five of John 14, said unto him, Lord, God bless Thomas, you know, God bless Thomas. And let me tell you something real quick. Let me just say something about Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, and we shouldn't do that. Why do we call him that? Because after the resurrection, he didn't see Jesus. He wasn't in church when he should have been. He missed out <laughs> seeing the resurrected Jesus. And he says, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch his scars. And then Jesus graciously later appeared to him and he was able to do that. But I don't think he ever did. I think he just fell on his face. My Lord and my God. What did he do after that? Tradition says he brought the gospel to India and was a martyr. They pierced him through with a pike. That's what tradition says. And We've gone to India and we've done ministry where my ancestors, a lot of the Scudders did ministry where he came ashore near Madras, Chennai, in India where there's a cemetery with uh, Scudders everywhere. More Scudders in that place than I've ever seen in my life. 
Ida Scudder, the great doctor that started a huge hospital called the Christian Medical Center, still in existence today. Her dad, Dr. John Scudder, his dad, Dr. John Scudder, he was the first medical missionary to India from the United States. That same area is where Thomas was martyred by tradition. So I don't think we should call him Doubting Thomas anymore. Uh, let's call him Brave Thomas or Believing Thomas. But here Thomas asks the question, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? You know, what's amazing, after three years of him teaching them personally, they still were missing a lot. But you know what? Let's not be too hard on the disciples because I think we miss a lot too. We miss sometimes the most obvious things. And this whole passage is Jesus being gracious, Jesus comforting them, Jesus giving them words of peace. And we're going to talk about that. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What a profound statement. Jesus is clearly claiming to be God. There are many people that say Jesus never claimed to be deity. What are they reading? I mean, this is why they got upset at Jesus in the synagogue and they were going to throw him off the pinnacle. I mean, over and over, Jesus claimed to be God. And that's why they were so upset. And here is a clear statement. This means that believing in God means you're not an atheist, but it doesn't save you. Believing in Jesus, personal faith in Jesus, the Son of God, his sacrifice for your sins on the cross and his resurrection, trusting in him will save you. There's not many ways to God, and that's really been the, the lie. There's many paths to God. You know, some people say there's, you know, like a wagon wheel, and you have all the spokes leading to the hub, and, and there's just all these different ways to God. That's not true, according to this. There's one way, and by the way, it's not Baptist, okay? I'm proud to be a Baptist. I love being a Baptist. Uh, the Baptist historically had all of the distinctives and the uh, doctrines that I believe are true, but a denomination or a label doesn't make you born again. Jesus does. When you trust in him, you will have everlasting life. I think the Baptists get it right almost all of the time, but I know some Baptists that aren't saved. As I know many people in different denominations aren't saved because they're not trusting in Jesus alone. So this is a clear-cut statement of Jesus saying, listen, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. Another thing that we notice here is this is another of the I am statements that Jesus made. He made seven of these statements, and someone has noticed, and we actually filmed this when we were in Israel, the different seas of Israel. So we went to the Mediterranean, the Dead Sea, the Red Sea, and the Sea of Galilee. We did one show in each of these locations talking about the things that happened there. Down in the Dead Sea, there's a replica of the tabernacle. And someone noticed that the way that we're instructed to set out some of the things in the tabernacle were the same order that Jesus gave his I am statements, where he said, I am the bread of life, the showbread, okay? I am the light of the world, the menorah. It's the same order. And let me just go through the I am statements. And even saying I am is a claim to divinity. Just saying I am, because that's how God appeared to Moses. I am means I am now, I always was, and I always will be. It's a name that includes that whole gamut of past, present, and future. So he was the bread, the light, the door, the shepherd, the resurrection, the way, here, and then the vine. All in John, in the same order 
that they put out these items in the tabernacle. You have to watch that in Grace episode. I am. Verse 7 of John 14 continues, If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. I mean, clear-cut claim to be one with God the Father. In verse 8, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father. And it sufficeth us, or that's enough, that's all we need. Well, they had been seeing Jesus this whole time. I think what Philip was asking for was, Lord, we want to see an example of you glorified. Now remember, he was transfigured, but he wasn't transfigured for all of the disciples, just three. And maybe Philip heard about it and wanted to see it. I don't know. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? We are so dense sometimes, folks. We are. I'm not saying it about you. I'm saying it about me. Okay? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Now, this is a hard thing for us to grasp. The Trinity but it's thoroughly biblical. It's not just a New Testament concept. It's in Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis, where you have one God and three entities, three beings. The words, he continues in verse 10, that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. So, hey, you can believe me because I'm telling you this, or you can believe me because of the things that I have done. Why did Jesus do miracles? Was it so that people could see that were blind, or so that people could walk that were lame, or that people that were dead could live? That's not it. Although he did it for those things, but that's not why he did it. Why did he do those things? Because he wanted to show the world that he is God, because only God can do those things that he did. The works, the works, they were a testimony. And then also, understanding the Trinity again, Jesus is the Son, as much as God, as God the Father and the Spirit. You know, some people have said, well, there's like three candles and there's one light. Okay, that's a good analogy, right? In many things in the universe, time, space, and matter. There's always seems to be components of three, but yet one. But God is above all of that. And so although it's hard for our human mind to grasp, it's an important truth that we know. They are all equal. They're distinct, but they're equal. And when we see Jesus, we've seen God. And we'll continue talking about the Trinity and other things tomorrow on the Tuesday edition of In Grace. But the, the words of Christ to comfort, to help, uh, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, as we look around in our world, we find a lot of things that worry us, that trouble us. But uh, remembering those words of Christ, I think, will really soothe and help us and get us through any trying time. Uh, we are so thankful for those of you that support In Grace. We appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your financial support. And when you support In Grace this month, we're thanking you by sending you a brand new video series called Amazing Arches. You can get this by DVD 
or digital download. And it's a four-part series featuring Dr. Danny Faulkner, who's an astronomer, but he's also an amateur geologist and loves arches. And he wants to show you the arches of Kentucky. And then him and I went out west to see the arches of Arizona, Utah, and Colorado. And boy, talk about incredible rock formations. And we'll explain how these formations occurred. It's a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun together. And if you'd like to get this as a thank you for your gift, just donate any amount to Ingrace through our phone number, through our website, or send a check. And we'll thank you by sending you amazing Arches four-part video series. If your gift is $25 or more, I'll send you another really fantastic video series that we did with Dr. Faulkner, Our Awesome Universe, Big Bang or Big God. Are you looking for an adventure that will take your breath away? Then check out Ingrace's new series, Amazing Arches, that explores the natural beauty of God's creation. Get your copy of Amazing Arches for a gift of any amount. And when your gift is $25 or more, we'll include the popular video series, Our Awesome Universe, Big Bang or Big God. Call now at 800-78-GRACE. Visit our website at ingraceradio.com or write to us at Ingrace P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on Ingrace Radio with Jim Scudder, Jr. Ingrace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio.